0: Sports Radio, 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on this, uh, I won't say cool Colorado day, that's for sure. We hit 101 at my house yesterday, but you know what? We were still outside. It's just beautiful. It's dry. Obviously, you got to make sure you stay hydrated and, you know, and stay in the shade and try to do activities more earlier and later in the day. But it's just, uh, it's still summer and it's beautiful and everybody wants to get out. It's going to be in the 90s the next few days, but a little cooler, but there's a lot going on. We're going to cover a lot today. There's a number of fishing opportunities. We'll touch on some of those during the course of the day. There's also um, a big controversy in the fishing community in Colorado and that's on this uh, proposal to increase spearfishing, change the regulations and increase spearfishing in Colorado. We're going to take that head on today. At 930, the Spearfishing Association representative is going to join us and we're going to let them tell us why they think they should have more opportunities and, and more access in Colorado. Following that, the next segment after that will be Chad Lachance, speaking from a sort of a voice of the conventional angler who's worried about the impact and why he feels we shouldn't increase the access. So that'll be from 9.30 to 10. We're also going to talk a lot of hunting today. Second hour, um, Nate's going to tell us where the big game are at, what's going on. On our Jack segment, we're going to talk about picking out a hunting rifle. If you're new to big game hunting, And there's several factors you're going to have to consider. Not only the right rifle, but does it handle ammunition that's readily available? Because some ammunition isn't. And then after that, Colorado Clay is going to talk about how to practice, how to get your scope sighted in, how to get ready for things like dove season. So we've got just a lot to cover. But right now, let's talk some fishing. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us, he's the editor of Trout Magazine. He's the, uh, an editor-at-large for Field & Stream. He's a good friend and an avid angler, and he's been up in Colorado's high country, so he's got some just really fresh reports for us. Kirk Dieter. Good morning, Kirk.
1: Good morning, Terry. How are you doing today?
0: You know what? I am doing great. It's beautiful out there. Where are you calling us from?
1: I'm up in Steamboat Springs right now.
0: weather is beautiful up there as it is down here.
1: It is. It was, it's been hot the last couple of days, but as you mentioned, I've, I've been up in the high country kind of escaping the heat and doing some fishing up high.
0: You know, I want to get to where you've been fishing and how it is and steer people to some good opportunities. But before we even start, are you concerned at all about the lower elevation rivers that maybe we should be a little careful with them this time of year with this heat?
1: Yeah, you know, anytime the water temperatures in the rivers approach, you know, 65 or above, I stop trout fishing. And uh, we could use a couple good monsoon rains to refresh things. But if you go up high, that helps us avoid that problem. And that's one of the reasons that I do advocate for fishing up in lakes this time of year, especially. Plus, it's fun. I mean, it's some of the best opportunities.
0: Oh, you know what? One of my favorite um fly fishing opportunities is Rocky Mountain National Park and I've been up horseback riding up in the high alpine lakes where there's some big fish and I've been I've been down and where you can almost drive up to the river and caught brook trout and cutthroats right alongside the path but whatever you're doing up there you're in the most incredible setting it doesn't even matter the size of the fish it's where you're at so tell us a little bit about some of the places you've been to
1: I've been up in the circles, and I've been up, you know, kind of up in, off of Rabbit Ears Pass near, near Steamboat here. And uh, there are so many lakes, you can't name them all, but everyone has uh, different character characteristics. Some are filled with brook trout. Some are filled with relatively shallow. Some are quite deep, potholes and so forth. Um, some are easy to get to. You can drive up to them. Of course, you see more people if you get to the lakes where there are easier access. And if you're willing to walk... Uh, the other, on Wednesday, I walked uh, almost nine miles and found some amazing high country cutthroat trout. And that was, uh, you know, it was really worth the effort. And plus, it's cool up here. You know, once you get above 9,000 feet, it's a lot cooler. And you just have to watch the weather. We've been lucky. Um, while we need the rain, uh, we've been lucky not to have the afternoon storms. But uh, typically, if I'm going up high, I try to do that in the morning and then get off the mountain before one or two o'clock in the afternoon.
0: Just a comment on that, next week um, we're going to have a meteorologist from our partners at Channel 9 join us, and we're going to talk about lightning and avoiding the danger of lightning in Colorado next week. So that's something people want to mark their calendars, because it really is something you have to be cognizant of when you're in a high country, isn't it?
1: Oh, no doubt. Not. I'll be tuning in for that, too. I mean, you can never... Uh, have enough refresher safety information on lightning. That's the one thing that that kind of scares me. I have no control over it. You can have animal encounters. I uh, saw a moose the other day on the trail. Uh, you can run into bears and so forth. You know how to handle things. It, it all works out well, but lightning you have no control over. So that's the one thing that has my attention all the time. So let's say I
0: want to head up to some of these high country lakes. Um you do you just go by word of mouth on some of these lakes or are there some resources? And then what do you do when you get there? How do you decide how to approach them?
1: Well, I, there are a number of maps and books and hiking guides. I pick those up and then what I, I have a little Garmin in reach uh, GPS that makes sure that I'm on the right path. And that helps me to guide into where I want to go and, and some places, of course, I've been there before, so it's, it's familiar. But if I'm exploring somewhere new, I try to read up on it. You can read up on it online, and uh, or have the book that you can carry in your pack so to double check yourself. And then a GPS is always a good idea. But then when you get there, it's really not that complicated as far as the fishing goes. These fish don't see a lot of people, and their opportunistic this season for eating is a lot shorter than other places because it freezes up here so quickly in the fall. So right now it's, it's damsel flies, it's caddis flies, and mayflies. And I found that the best way to fish is maybe a dry dropper with a, a caddis that I can see and a, like a soft-tackle pheasant or a soft-tackle hair deer. And I like to make the cast and then slowly twitch that nymph fly. And 9 out of 10, they eat the nymphs. So
0: that's my story. Yeah, and, you know, I love the dry dropper thing. Down low right now, the hopper dropper thing is going crazy. And up high, um, you can get away with it. You're right, the fish aren't educated. They're hungry. They're looking up all the time. I don't know how many times in Rocky Mountain National Park, I've thrown a great big Chernobyl ant in the tiniest little pool, to have a cutthroat or a brook trout that you think wouldn't be interested in something that big come up and eat it and another thing uh you don't have to have heavy fly gear to fish these areas either do you
1: no in fact it's the lighter the better i you know, the, the, i dial in on a few flies and i carry them in my shirt pocket i have a nippers that i wear around my neck uh some spool of tippet and some uh, hemostats to work with the fish and pull the hook out of their mouth and all that and that's it and i carry i like to fish with a nine foot three weight or four weight that i put in a tube and carry on my pack and that's about it
0: and you you mentioned how good the fishing is on these high country lakes how long were you know most of them will probably now stay good till we get into september you think
1: i think so i think it'll be really good um in, in early September, assuming we get some rains and so forth and things freshen up, but um, September is the best month for me. As long as we know we've got good weather windows, you we go up there, the colors are all turning and the fish are turned on and uh, a, lot of, a lot of animals moving around. I think it's only going to get better, the high country. Plus, you know, with the, all that's going on in the world right now, um, people are gravitating toward water which is a great thing, uh, but the easier-accessed rivers and lakes down low and rivers that people drive up to are, are busy. They're crowded, and so and that's a good thing. I'm not complaining about that, but if you want to get away from the, the crowds a little bit and get off the beaten path, you know, even just a mile hike will open up so many new doors for any angler in the state. And It's not just fly fishing. It's spin fishing. It depends on the regulations. If you check that wherever you go, Um, you you have all sorts of opportunities, and you can spend the whole day. It's just great. It's been great for me.
0: Now, I know you also spent some time on a few rivers. Anything worth bringing us up to
1: date there? I've been on the upper Colorado, and it is busy there, but the upper Colorado is is fishing well. Um, I also just finished floating for the year, uh, the stretch of the Yampa that I float. Uh, It's getting a little bit low to float now, but there's great walk-in fishing. Above Steamboat Springs, um, Chuck Lewis, and that kind of area, um, and it's, it's full on hopper time. And so, and those are my favorite dry fly eats. I'll be honest with you. And I had one fish the other day just kind of scrutinize this giant hopper, like a size eight, that we were throwing, and watch this fish track it down the bank, and then 20 yards later decide to come up and eat the thing. And it turned out to be like an 18-inch rainbow trout. It was a pretty special moment. And I think it's going to be hopper time from, like you said, into the fall and into September. So, and it's my favorite time of year to fish.
0: Well, I, I'll, I'll reiterate what I said earlier, too. And that's the fact that if you're uh, maybe not the – I fly fish quite a bit, but I admit that it's not my main forte. I grew up as a bass and walleye guy. And I'm not the most proficient caster. And I can make a little less accurate or a little less delicate cast with a hopper because they kind of plop on the water anyway, and then have a nice nymph below it. I uh, like a copper john or something, but there's a you know a pheasant tail. You don't have to have a, a be real picky a lot of times um, if you know what they're eating. It always helps, of course. But then I can see that hopper, which you said about the caddis. You know, as I get older, if I throw a twenty-two. Um, size 22 mayfly, dry mayfly out on the water. I have a tough time seeing it. But when I throw that hopper out there, I can follow my drift a lot easier and I know what's going on. And it's it's fun because the hoppers are jumping around you. You know it. You just get that feeling. And I've been on that upper Colorado stretch where I'd be catching rainbows on the, the nymph below on the hopper dropper. And then all of a sudden, one of those browns will just explode on that hopper. It's It really is a blast, isn't it?
1: It sure is. And... I'll tell you what, the, the thing that's also nice about this time of year and the hopper flies is you don't have to make a perfect cast. It doesn't matter if it splashes. And oftentimes in the afternoons here, it's windy, right? And so when the wind is blowing, sometimes that bothers certain anglers, especially if they're trying to fish a mayfly hatch or whatever. But the wind is exactly what you want in hopper season because it's blowing the grasshoppers and ants and beetles and other things out of the grass next to the river, and onto the water, and it's it's like opening the smorgasbord for the fish. So don't be afraid of the wind. Work on your wind cast a little bit, and, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how pretty it is when it gets there. Get the fly within about three or four feet of the bank and let it ride and see what happens next.
0: Oh, and it's it's a great way to gain confidence, fly fishing the hopper dropper time of the year you know even small places like the north fork of the big thompson and some of those where there's a a good population of smaller fish you can just really gain confidence with it any other spots you've heard of or been to anything you might want to direct people to if they're looking for a place over the next week
1: well you know again it's one of those things where um we're all being careful and so forth. So don't forget the local waters. Don't forget the bass pond that's nearby. Don't forget the carp fishing that's nearby. Um, you know, you don't have to. On the one hand, I spend a lot of time now talking about going way far afield and getting up into the mountains, and that's great for isolating. But also finding the water that's close to home is helpful too. So it's a it's a game of near and far now, and I think that that's I, the, the play.
0: I was just going to say, as far as the ponds, I had a grandson up. We went and checked out a few of the ponds. He's five years old. He was able to catch about 10 or 12 bluegills by himself, making his own cast with a push-button rod in one of the ponds. And I went back to that same pond here just a couple days ago uh, with just a plastic worm and a spinning rod, and I caught about half a dozen small bass. So there's lots of activity in lots of places. We're going to run out of time, but before I let you go, i got to tell you a mutual friend said to say hi. Van Rolo said that uh, he was talking about kind of the the people that he used to, with you and me and Charlie Meyer, and it really brought back some memories. He's a really good guy.
1: Yes, he is. He's, he's been a good friend, and as a someone who's been a reporter and a writer in this industry for a long time like yourself, Van has always been, he's not always been credited because he likes to be behind the scenes, but he's always been one of my best sources. And uh, I appreciate that he'd reach out and say hi.
0: Yeah, he's just a a super, super guy. Hey, uh, any 20 seconds. Got an interesting article coming up. What's coming out next issue of Trout Magazine?
1: Oh, we've got, you know, we kind of went back to the basics in Trout Magazine. We've got great gear rack essays. We didn't do any, it it was just going back to why we love fishing. We have essays from Tom Reed, Chris Camuto, um, Erica Hickey's got a nice essay in here, so, it's an essay-driven issue of Trout Magazine, and it's a, it's a it's I think what we need at this time. Whereas well, there's so much going on, it's it's going to be a fun read.
0: All right, my friend, you uh, enjoy the rest of your time up there in Steamboat, and we'll talk again soon. And uh, I can't wait to get on the water with you.
1: I'll look forward to it. You take care of yourself, and thanks for everything.
0: All right, Kirk Dieter, Trout Magazine, Field and Stream several other popular, um, publications, great resource, great guy. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, Parks and Wildlife is going to join us, and we're going to talk about the new regulation in state wildlife areas right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom
1: Outdoors
0: is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. They've been uh, they've been helping people have fun for 65 years. You know, if you're fishing, hunting, kayaking, camping or one of my favorite things grilling they've got everything you need let's go right to the phones joining us from colorado parks and wildlife is travis duncan good morning travis hey good morning carrie hey travis you know i don't think anyone could have imagined the uh I, and i i use this word i said influx i when i was talking to you earlier i you can i guess you can say influx into the outdoors but the number of people that, because of the lack of travel, sports, going out opportunities, have turned to the outdoors, which we love. That's what our, our, um, our, our careers have been about, is getting people outdoors and helping them enjoy it. But some places have been getting a lot of use that depend on other sources of funding that maybe the people using them haven't been contributing to, and we really need to maintain those. So the Parks and Wildlife passed a regulation that went into effect the first of this month that affected state wildlife areas and state trust, some state trust lease lands. Tell us about that new uh, regulation.
2: Definitely. So, April 30th, uh, at, a, at a virtual commission meeting, the uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission passed a, a new rule saying that all folks visiting uh, our state wildlife areas, uh, and state trust lands, have to have a hunter or, or have to have a hunting or a fishing license, a valid hunting and fishing license, to, to legally be on that property. So, um, just just as if you enter a state park, you need to have that that state park pass or you know, that that day pass, that annual pass that gets you in there and helps maintain that area. Um, folks who are visiting our state wildlife areas need to have that uh, hunting or fishing uh, license to to legally be there. Uh, and that started july
0: 1st now i think a lot of people are confused i don't i'm not going there to hunt i'm not going there to fish i don't think they understand why these wildlife areas were um, first brought about and why they're what it takes to maintain them why were they created kind of give us a quick history of why were state wildlife areas created in the first place and how are they funded
2: Definitely. So, so state wildlife areas are acquired using hunter and angler dollars for the express purpose of conserving wildlife habitat and providing wildlife-related recreation. So, uh, these these lands were identified by by Parks and Wildlife as being valuable for wildlife for some reason, uh, and and it varies by property to property. But it, it might be because it's it's um, great for fish, or it might be because it's great for elk or, or bighorn sheep. Uh, you know, rest there part of the year, and and so they they really need to. Um, you know, make sure that area is not developed so that we continue to have wildlife on the landscape in Colorado, um, which which is which is a great thing. And, and we want to make sure folks know what those state wildlife areas are and what they're for. And, and each property has a different, you know, a different purpose. It's in a different part of the state. And so I encourage folks, uh, if they do n- know of the state wildlife area, to to make sure they know what it's for, to go on CPW's website, find our uh, SWA finder and, and look it up. Each Each sheet has you know maps and um, you know what recreation is allowed there. It, and it's, it's mostly hunting and fishing. The land was acquired for hunting and fishing, and so uh, we encourage folks, you know, if they are going there, to make sure they have a hunting and fishing license and and be aware of what what animals are being protected there, so you're not engaging in activities that maybe that that property wasn't wasn't acquired for, isn't maintained for, and and you're not having a detrimental effect on our wildlife.
0: No, and and a lot of people, you know. <clears throat> They they just go. They're innocently looking for places to recreate. Now they're 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 paddlecraft. They're um, they're walking their dogs. They're 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 just going for a hike. They're bird watching, you know. And they kind of feel like, well, why should I have to pay to be here? It's public land. Well, I think you did a great job of. It is public land, but it's public land that's been set aside for special use, and it takes money to maintain that. And the North American model of conservation, all the game management really, for the most part, is paid for by hunters and anglers through their license fees. Now, people might come and say, well, why can't you just charge me a small fee? I'm only going there to hike and watch the birds. But that doesn't work, does it?
2: It doesn't work on state wildlife area lands because of the way the the funding for those properties works, um, and as part of that North American model. Uh, so so these lands are are acquired and maintained using hunting and angler dollars, uh, and that's that's a large part of how Colorado Parks and Wildlife is funded is through through those dollars. Um, but if we have tried the uh, is actually called the habitat stamp um, on some of these properties to access. Um, the idea was that it could be like a wildlife viewing license, but but the problem that happened was that we lost the amount of federal monies back from from the government through excise taxes on those hunting and angling licenses. So we were losing the same amount of money uh, from those federal monies that, that we were charging. So uh, th- there was no net gain, in fact, probably a, a slight loss from actually implementing a program to, to take folks' money, you know, as the wildlife viewing passed. Um, so that's why, that's why the commission, after looking at a lot of other options or trying to figure out if there was another option, th- decided that, you know, having a, a hunting or fishing license made the most sense. That's what these lands were acquired and put aside for. That's how they're maintained. Um, that actually gets us the money we need to to maintain the lands.
0: And I think you made a great point about the matching funds. We want to make sure people understand that when fishing and hunting gear is sold, there are excise taxes. That money is part of a couple different bills that were voted on years ago, goes back to the states and to the federal government to maintain fishing and hunting recreation. And when you what they do is it comes in matching funds to the Colorado, and Colorado is very restricted in how they can spend the wildlife money. They can't spend it, like, just on state parks. It's separate. And by charging people a different fee to use the wildlife area, they actually deducted that. Not just didn't match it, but deducted it from the amount of matching funds you got. So that, that became an issue um. What about people, we only got a couple minutes left, but what about people that say, hey, I'm only launching my boat there, that I'm going downriver, or I'm just walking through on a hike?
2: Right. The message we're definitely trying to, to share with folks is that all recreation has an impact on, on our wildlife, on our lands, and, and these areas specifically. So if you're on a state wildlife area, whether whether or not you happen to be hunting or fishing that day, you're having an impact on the land there. Um, whether, you know, you just put in your boat or whether you're on a connecting trail, um, you're, you're still on that landscape that's been put aside for wildlife. And so we're asking folks to to purchase that hunting or, or fishing license and, and participate in making sure we're able to, to keep those lands open.
0: Now, we're out of time, but one other subject I wanted to really make sure we we hit on was dogs um a lot of these if dogs are allowed they have to be on a leash you really have to be careful of that because they you know dogs running around can really disrupt wildlife and in a lot of places dogs aren't allowed at all is that right
2: right dogs are a real problem with with wildlife they they uh, you know seek to bark at those animals or you know interfere with those animals and uh, especially with with larger animals like like moose they moose consider dogs a natural predator each year we have issues with folks who had their dog off leash. They, they, the dog went after the moose, and then the moose went after the dog. And where does the dog go when it's being chased by the moose? It comes straight back to the, the owner, and and the, the owner ends up getting hurt by the moose. It's just, it's a bad idea, really, um, to take, to take your dog to the state wildlife area, and especially to, to take it off leash, uh, when we know these areas are set aside for, for wildlife habitat. We are
0: out of time, Travis, but thank you so much. I hope people understand. We want you to use these areas. Just make sure you have a proper license so we're getting the mo- the monies to maintain them. Travis, thank you so much. Thank you, Terry. You bet. Travis Duncan, Parks and Wildlife. This segment was brought to you by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Um, just If you've just never been in one, go walk through one of the stores, five locations from Cheyenne down through uh, Lafayette. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to address – the spearfishing controversy here in Colorado for the next half hour on Terry Wooks Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Well, I'm down the road Terry Wooks Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoors. I tell you what, you're getting ready for the upcoming hunting season. You won't find a better place with more knowledgeable people to help you than one of the Jack's, five, Jack's Outdoors five locations here up and down the front range. Let's go right to the phones now. If you've been paying attention, it'd be hard not to know. There's been a controversy in the angling community about spearfishing, uh, what, what we should do with it. Should we add, change the regulations, add more access? And it's really been a very controversial subject. So I'm going to take the next half hour and allow each side to give us about a 10-minute appraisal uh, to at least get you started on the information so you can make a decision. I do want to say that the, uh, Opinions stated in this half hour are the opinions of the guests and don't necessarily reflect the host, the station, or our sponsors. Let's go right to the phone and join us from the Rocky Mountain Spearfishing Association is Ryan Koenigke. Good morning, Ryan. Morning, sir. Yeah, uh, you can call me Terry. You don't have to call me, sir. It's okay. Yeah, I call everybody, sir. <laughs> well, good for you. Um, hey Ryan. Um, obviously, you've been, you and I have talked. You're in the middle of this thing. You, uh, you're a very big proponent. You're going to speak for the fear, spear spearfishing side. We only have a few minutes for each of you, so I would like you to start out by quickly explain what spearfishing is to people who might not understand. This isn't standing in a boat or on the shore with a with a spear, is it? Tell people what it is.
3: No, sir. Spearfishing is a sport where you uh, swim out and dive down under the surface of the water, typically holding your breath. Um, Typical dive depths are 15 to 40 feet, and then you lay on the bottom as still as possible um, and hope that a fish of the species and size that you're looking for swims by so you can uh, harvest that fish by shooting a spear gun or there's other equipment like That's more primitive, if you will, like pole spears and Hawaiian slings, uh, which are sticks with rubber bands on them. So, Uh,
0: yeah. All right. And you can also use scuba deer and you don't really have to lay still. You can swim up to some fish. So we want to make sure 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 that. Yeah. Sure. But we want people to understand. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm just classifying with scuba,
3: the bubbles pretty much uh, scare most of the fish you can still harvest fish with scuba but it's a little bit more difficult and then as far as laying still on the bottom there's a technique called a guado where you kind of use your hand to propel yourself because if you kick the pressure that you exert from your fins it scares the fish away as well
0: all right we don't want to go into the nuts and bolts I just want them to understand now tell us what the current regulations are for spear fishing and what you would like to see changed
3: Sure. Currently statewide, you can harvest carp and northern pike with spearfishing. Pueblo Reservoir is the only water body in the state that allows anything different. And in Pueblo Reservoir, you can currently go after game fish like wiper. And uh, also you can spear catfish and just the standard stuff down there.
0: All right. Now, there are some lakes on the eastern plains that allow some shad and some other things, too. So there are some other opportunities. Um so what do you want to see happen?
3: Uh I really we're just looking for an opportunity to be able to participate outdoors the way that we like to fish. Um, we've worked with CPW in, in an effort to keep their regulation streamlined. They've issued the proposal that they have, which would be opening up spearfishing for the same bag and possession limits as angling
0: now they really have talked about the proposal but they haven't issued anything in writing so it's pretty nebulous yet but overall you guys are saying let us go anywhere anglers can go and take the same number of fish right
3: well cpw has released uh, text in their slideshows that they've presented in their Right. But uh, that they haven't,
0: they haven't put that out to the public. I asked them about it. So let's go. They did it at a meeting, but they didn't make it available. So let's go to, <clears throat> you know, we have, we have a short time and I want you to make your points. I want you to have time. Sure. You know, you know, some of the the areas that uh, are being the angling community is kind of been you almost unanimously against opening up the regulations. And one of the things they've, uh, one of the things they've said is you're going to harvest too many big fish in some of the bodies of water where it's critical. How do you respond to that?
2: Sure.
3: So um, through talking with people, I actually looked up that information myself and uh, I compared the Colorado state angling records to the world spearfishing records and in species where they overlapped on average were five inches shorter and about five pounds lighter as well. So I think, there's not a lot of
0: data supporting those claims. Um, Well, but there's, it's more the number of big fish than just the one giant. The one giant is an issue. And we're not saying, you know, record fish get caught very rarely over, and people have been angling for those fish for hundreds of years, and they've been keeping track, and there's millions of anglers. But do you think as a whole, what do you say to people that say you harvest the percentage of fish you harvest tend to be large. Sure. In a lot of places, you know, we're
3: bound by length requirements, right? So we've got to be sure that they're going to be over a certain length before we harvest. So um, obviously, if an 18-inch walleye swims by, we're not going to be able to— accurately determined within you know plus or minus a half inch so we let those fish swim by and we only take what we are sure are above the legal limit but also it's i i think it's as hard to spearfish for these fish as it is to angle for them like it's very difficult to go under the water and hold your breath for more than 90 seconds so you only get short glimpses into that world and uh it's it's hard to Get any fish, yet alone big fish, so
0: well, there's a number that do scuba fish, whether you say it or not, and I know that when I was your age, I could stand underwater for over three minutes, so there are people who do it, so that in you know, over three about... minutes really yes,
3: yeah. impressive. Yeah. i can i mean I can hold my breath on ground for about four minutes and thirty six seconds, and
0: I can well, only that's, dive that's for about a,
3: about a minute forty five i was so I was in a lot of
0: sports it was. That was several. That was that was over three lengths of an Olympic pool. But that's beside the point. Okay, it's not about me. What about what about the fact that it is very difficult to judge the size of a fish underwater?
3: Uh, we're regulated by length requirements all across the world, and even in neighboring states. The, what CPW is proposing here isn't something revolutionary. They're just trying to catch up with what other states allow for example new mexico regs allow for the same bag and take as anglers wyoming is the same thing with the exception of a half bag limit for walleye utah is the same proposal for 15 of their water bodies and then they have some other water bodies where they specify a season and uh, a few different length requirements and then Nebraska is the same thing with a season as well. So, well, uh, I'm, not I, 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 I'm not saying there aren't
0: regulations. I'm I, i not saying there aren't regulations. And every state is different, obviously. We have more population and less service water than almost all of those areas. I wish we had more time to delve into that, but it is difficult. And if, and sure, if an angler light... catches an undersized fish, he can release it. A spear fisherman can't, right? I mean, that's true. Sure, a spear what, fisherman well, releases it by. Five... Spear... Sorry. I'm a spear fisherman releases it
3: sorry. Go ahead. A, a spear fisherman releases the fish by just letting it swim by. We only harvest what if, we know if, is above if, the legal but limit. You,
0: you, you only harvest, and you can't control. Everybody doesn't follow the rules, whether they're a, a regulation angler, I know that, or a spear fisherman. I only have really time for one more question, and then um, how many people are in the spear fishing organization in Colorado and why do you think regulations should be changed for a small number that could potentially affect the, access, the, the resources used by many? So give us a kind of a brief summary.
3: Sure. So the Rocky Mountain Spear Fishing Association as a whole is not just in Colorado. It's in the surrounding states, and they have about 150 members. Of that, there are about 50 active spear fishermen that dive freshwater in the state of Colorado. Uh, that's people coming from out of state as well as those who are residents like myself. So, yes, we are a very small community. We'll be under the same bag and take limits, and thus our our impact will be immeasurably small. I know that there's some concern regarding trophy fish. I think those concerns are a little bit not supported by data, but um, if you have data on the contrary, I'd be interested in hearing about it.
0: Well, we'll see what the rebuttal has to say. We're really out of time, but if people want to really understand sport fishing, where are good resources of uh, spearfishing? Where can they go?
3: Sure. Uh, the Rocky Mountain Spearfishing Association is probably the best place if you want to become a member. Um, and if you're interested in more information, and uh, you, you can feel free to reach out to me and DM me on Facebook. It's just at my name, Ryan Koenigke, K-O-E-N-E-K-E.
0: And I will post this uh, on YouTube, on Facebook. This interview, and I'm sorry we don't have time more time, less more time to get in depth. Ryan, you're a very good representative of your community. Thank you for joining us today.
3: Yeah, thanks for the time.
0: You bet. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back. Chad Chance is going to rebuke, rebu- 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 I guess what rebuke what he had to say. I believe anyway. On Terry Wixham outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's get right to the phone so we can give plenty of time to Chad. Um, before Chad comes on, I will say that I apologize to Ryan. We got into the segments a little later because of some longer commercial breaks. Um, if you want more information on the uh, spearfishing, go to the Spearfishing Association. It's the Rocky Mountain. Beer Fishing Association, contact them. I'm sure they'll be happy to give you their side in more detail. And we want you to make a good decision based on information. Now let's go to Chad Lachance. Good morning, Chad.
4: Hey, good morning, Terry. Thanks for taking time to do this.
0: Well, I think it's important. I I wish we probably should have taken a whole hour, but programming just doesn't allow that. So I, I assume you were listening to Ryan? Yeah, yes, sir. So why don't you just kind of tell us why, you know, what you think what are your feelings about harvesting large fish and some of the things he said
4: well first of all i want to point out that this is uh this is for anglers that want to get involved on either side regardless of how they feel Contact CPW for sure, and you're going to have that information, I know. But understand that this is not their idea. The Spear Fishing Club wants to to have a proposal. Parks and Wildlife just wants to consider everybody's proposals and see what happens. So I want to point out that when you do contact Parks and Wildlife, regardless of which side you're on, understand that they're just a referee in this whole thing. So that's really important. I also want to point out that I have personally uh, fished with a Hawaiian sling, which, uh, which as he mentioned, is a, a slightly more primitive version of uh, spearfishing in that I just have a stick uh, that you use rubber bands to propel it with underwater, and I also did that uh, with snorkeling gear, not with scuba tanks. Uh, having said all of that, I did that in the ocean, just for the record. Uh, having said all that, I, I have to refute the fact that, that it's, it's very easy to get close to fish when you're in the water with the fish. It's not the same as walking down the bank or anything like that. So, you know, or, or being afraid of your boat. You're in the water, you're in their environment. They don't understand you as a predator underneath it. Yes, they might move away from you, uh, you know, things like that. But conversely, having snorkeled here in horse reservoir, here in Colorado. Uh, I've had bass, they will literally, mature bass will literally swim right up to you and look right at you, and uh, and they have no problems with that. They're extremely curious fish, and my experience has been the clearer the water is, the more the fish do that. So I, I, I refute a little bit that it's terribly difficult. I'd be fully respectful of swimming 40 feet onto the bottom and then laying there. Uh, to shoot a fish that happens to swim by, it would be very difficult. I understand that completely. But having said that, the own spearfishing club has picture posted. I just pulled one picture, and I want to point this out. There's at least 36 mature or straight-up trophy fish in one dock at one time from a couple of anglers. There's eight or nine different species, and that's just what I can tell from the pick. Catfish, walleyes, largemouth bass, smallmouth bass, and even things like gizzard shad, adult gizzard shad. So what that's telling me is their technique is effective enough to shoot uh, walleyes or catfish that might be down on the bottom, but also gizzard shad that are swimming high in the water column and never stop swimming, which tells me these guys are fairly active predators when they're underwater. The other side I want to point out is they've got, you know, they say they mentioned 50 to 150 people in the surrounding states, say 50 active members. I get it, but that's one hundredth of one percent of licensed anglers and yet their impact, just that one picture alone, and I encourage people to just go look around at you know, all the you can go Google, there's lots and lots of pictures on the internet of how effective it is. But we're talking about one hundredth of one percent of licensed fishermen that are able to harvest the, the top one percent size wise of our fish. And I realize it's not a large number of fish. But it's literally the prize bull every time they fire a spear. And it doesn't matter what the species is. In that photograph I mentioned earlier, a bunch of them were bluegills, little tiny targets. So, you know, they're, they're able to harvest at a high level considering with such a small percentage. And that doesn't even consider the fact that we have declining numbers of waters in the state, increasing numbers of anglers in the state. And now we're going to put another user group in the water that harvests the top 1%. And, oh, by the way, if they're in the water with their boat and they have a dive flag up, any other boat needs to give them a 100-foot radius by law. So, And that's a Coast Guard rule, if I understand it correctly, but it's a 100-foot radius. So if you've got a couple of spear fishermen with a couple of boats and they pull up on, say, the dam at Cherry Creek and put divers in the water, they could effectively block off a large percentage of the dam very easily, uh, by doing so. And so I just feel like with, with, the, with the small little user group and, and all the advantages they have over regular anglers, uh, this is not a good plan in Colorado for the amount of people we have, the, the, the little tiny bit of water that we have. I understand they do it in surrounding states, but they do a lot of things in surrounding states that aren't applicable here as well. And, uh, and I think this is a key example of that.
0: What about the, they claim that they can pretty actively judge the size of fish underwater?
4: Well, I think he's 100% correct in that they don't worry about it because they just find the great big ones. So he doesn't have to worry about judging an 18-inch walleye when he can shoot a 28-inch walleye. And I watched him do it at, up at uh, Wyoming. I watched the spear fishing boat pull up on the dam, put a dive flag out. The diver was not in the water. He was not in the water, Terry. A minute and a half, two minutes, he popped up, had a walleye. Over the course of the span of about 15 or 20 minutes, we watched him harvest two limits of fish in no time flat. And none of them were less than two feet long. So I don't know that their that their idea of having to judge, obviously in the slot limit situation or something maybe, but reality of the situation is they're not. It's not a matter. Of, they're not worrying about if this thing has a five inch horn and is legal. They're they're shooting a great big one every time. And in, is really my rub. If they were just out doing the same average stuff, I can understand it. But they're not. They're incredibly more effective. And having done it myself, I know if I can swim up to a grouper and shoot at Point Blank range with a Hawaiian sling, I'm quite certain that they can do the same thing uh, here. Only the difference is we don't have those resources. These are brood fish. Most of, almost all the fish in Colorado, as you're well aware, come out of the hatchery system. And uh, and we just really can't afford to have our trophy bulls shot uh, for the, you know, the gain of a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of anglers.
0: Chad, did the diver you saw was he free diving or scuba diving?
4: He was free, uh, scuba diving. He
0: okay, so
4: he th- actually had a tank on. And he was diving.
0: Yes. That was a that was a point that Ryan tried to make that most people don't scuba dive because it's not effective.
4: Right, he and I've heard that bubbles. as well. I've also also uh, been been around that enough. I grew up in Florida, and he's right. The bubbles will definitely spook some fish, but apparently they didn't spook the walleyes and in wyoming because the guy wasn't in the water i think it took him longer to climb himself back in the boat once he got done with the two limits and it took him to to find him and now obviously he knew where they were but what's to say he's not going to be back there tomorrow doing that again i mean he literally pulled the boat up dropped in the water and was right back on the surface i also want to point out that i fished that whole area for hours prior to him and after him and never did boat a walleye so the the, the catch rate, so to speak, is through the roof. And I realize they're only going to catch five or, or whatever the limit is, but they're all going to be big and they're going to get them every time. And it's rare that a licensed or that a, a traditional hook and line angler is going to go out and catch eight or nine species in a day, all big ones. And then conversely, or or on top of that, harvest all of them. Even if we were to have an unbelievable day like that, most ethical anglers these days would return most of those to the water. And we're certainly not shooting things like the bait fish, like the the adult gizzard shad, that are basically the foundation for the food chain.
0: All right, we're out of time, Chad, but one last 20-second comment.
4: Well, like I said, I'm not against it as a wholesale statement, spearfishing. I think it needs to be reserved for rough fish or maybe very isolated situations where uh, maybe a specialized, you know, uh, uh, lake or something like that or specialized regulation on a lake here and there. But for sure, a wholesale regulation change for, for uh, active, 50 active users makes no sense at all. It wouldn't really even be considered for that small user group for any other, uh, you know, sport or activity done in the outdoors. Having sat on the Sportsman's Roundtable, I'm sure of that.
0: All right, whatever side you're on, folks, you need to contact Parks and Wildlife. Chad, I'm sure you and a lot of other people have contact information on your Facebook page.
4: Yes, sir, and uh, yes, and I just urge people to be civil. Again, it is uh, it is not Parks and Wildlife uh, versus anglers. It is it is angler issue between us and spear fishermen, and uh, Parks and Wildlife's just referee.
0: All right. We are out of time. Um, we're going to uh, wrap this up for today. I'll post this on my Facebook page. Chad, thank you so much. When we come back, Nate Zelensky is going to talk hunting, and I may pry a little walleye trolling information on out of them too, on Terry Wickham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.